We're going to be talking about the presence of God this morning. And I'm excited about it because this is something I've been, uh, this is kind of one of those lessons that uh, has been born of like personal Bible study, personal like kind of reflecting and and thinking and, and stuff like that. And so hopefully... Like what I what I've thought about over the last uh, you know probably about ten days will help you and even provoke a few questions and, and really the the main question that you want to be asking yourself and by the end of this sermon you know and at least I want you to leave with today is is God in the room with me you know it's amazing because. Have you ever felt this where it's like, I'm aware of God's presence, I know that He is out there, but I just don't feel like He's right here with me right now. you ever felt that? You know, for myself, when I think about my own life, I think about, you know, the the, the sins that I struggle with, whether it's my pride or my self-reliance or my selfish ambitions that I have, and you know, and, and sometimes I can just get stuck there. And it's like, I know God's out there, but He's not. I just don't feel Him right next to me. Am I speaking your language? Okay. And so that's been, this has been the question that I've been asking myself. It's like, God, I want you next to me. I want you next to me. I want you next to me. When life gets challenging, I want you next to me. When I feel frustrated, I want you next to me. I want to respond differently because I find Because when God is in the room, you act differently. It's kind of like, well, the, like an, to illustrate it, I think about... Uh, you know, our, our men and women in uniform, you know, for law enforcement. Okay. And I, I love our men and women in uniform. I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful to live in a city in Santa Clarita where when you're driving around, you, you feel the presence of the cops. You know, you see their cars and, you, and you're just grateful that they're out there protecting you. Right. But when you're driving in your car, and you're looking around, and you look into your review mirror, you look to the side, and it doesn't matter. You could be do every, doing everything right. You don't have any drugs in your car. You're going the speed limit, maybe a couple miles an hour over. Everybody's buckled. But then, as soon as you see them, it's like, you tense up. You go to 10 and 2, you check, the, you check all your gauges, you know, you kind of make sure the kids are quiet. You know, if you've got a good passenger, they're like, hey, there's a cop up there, you know, make sure you slow. You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, on one hand, we're grateful for the presence, but really, I don't want you near my car. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, I, and that can kind of be how we are with God sometimes, where it's like, I'm aware of the presence, but he's not next to me. Nor, maybe he's not next to me because of something I've done, because of something I'm feeling, or maybe I just don't want him next to me. The question is, is God in the room? I want to read uh, from two scriptures really quick. We're going to start in Exodus 33, and then we're going to skip over to Revelation chapter 3. We've got a few other scriptures in between. But, um, you know, I read these as I was doing some of my Bible study on the presence of God. And these were the two, like, sections that, that really kind of scared me the most. And, and I really, like, I think they should scare you a little bit. Okay? Exodus chapter 33. God has just led the Israelites out of Egypt. 
He has been with them. He's protected them. He, he, he's done miraculous things. He's fed them miraculously. He's, he's parted the, the sea for them so that they could walk through on dry land. He's protected them. He's going in front of them in a cloud of smoke by day and a, and a cloud of a pillar of fire by night. Like God is visibly with them. And Moses goes up on the mountain to get the commandments. And he comes down, and what's he come down to? They went back to their old ways. They started worshiping idols again. You know, they, they made the golden calf. A lot of us are familiar with the story. And, and, and God is really ready to just wipe them out right there. And Moses pleads with God. And in Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land I promised you on oath and to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are stiff necked people and I just might destroy you on the way. I mean, it's one of those things where, where God was ready to hold His promise. He was ready to give them the battle victories. He was ready to give them the land flowing with milk and honey. But what's He say? But if I go with you, I might destroy you guys. I'm just going to send an angel with you. That was, that's convicting. And we'll come back to this. Hold this place here because we're going to come back to this at the end. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, this is the other place that I went in some of my Bible study because I, I, I felt like I, I made this, this, this connection and I'm like, because I always read this scripture. I come to the church in Laodicea in, in Revelation chapter 3. As a, you know, as a, as a minister and ministering to, to people in America, like I feel like we have to come here because what was the issue with the church in Laodicea? They had wealth. They had everything that they needed. They felt, felt like they didn't really need anything else. And because of that, that, that led them to being what we call lukewarm. And so they thought they had everything going on. And, and, you know, and that's kind of where it was. It's like, man, I've got, I've got the money. I've got the house. I've got the nice stuff. You know, in Exodus, man, we're gonna, we can win the battles. We're going to get the promised land. In Revelation, we got all this stuff. But Jesus was sitting on the outside. In Revelation 3.20, you've probably read the verse. If you go to In-N-Out, it's, I think it's on the French fries at In-N-Out or something like that. It says, he's saying, hey, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. What's the implication? He's on the outside. He's not in the room with them. He wants to be in the room. But... Because of their wealth, because of their, what they're chasing after, God, Jesus is like, I'm not in the room with you. It's like some of your garages. You know what the garage is for, right? Some of you are like, well, storage. <laughs> no, the garage is where you park your car. Right? You're like, oh, that's for my car. But you know what? Like, if you've got so much stuff in there that you can't park your car... Like, like in order to get the car, then you got to get the stuff out. And that's kind of how it is with some of our lives. Our lives were filled with so much stuff. It's not necessarily bad stuff. 
but it's filled with so much stuff that there's just no room. You've got to clear out the stuff in order to experience the presence of God. For God to come into the room. And that's what's the issue with this church. Like Jesus is like, I want to be in there. Here I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking on it. I wrote a few things down. When God is in the room, you listen to what he has to say. Because you know that he knows best. When God is in the room, you share what's on your mind. Even if there are questions and doubts. Because you know he understands. When God is in the room, you examine yourself. Quickly. And you monitor your thoughts, your actions, your words. And then you monitor the other people in the room. When God is in the room, the vibe changes. You know, I, I appreciate so much that, you know, like, I just lift up, you know, and just want to lift up just the ladies in the church. You know, I've I'm, I had the privilege of going to, to women's days. And it is just it like not going there, but like helping with the sound ministry. Let me be clear on that. You know, I have to, yeah, Ron and I call it chaperoning, making sure, you know, we, you know, make sure your secret meetings aren't, uh, are going, you know, they're approved of. No, but we, uh, but you know, I go and, and, and I'm just so impressed with the ladies because the vibe is just so much fun and it's just exciting. I mean, it, it really is. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I think about, you know, I think about my wife when, when Lashana walks into a room, it just becomes a party. And it's just fun, you know, and it's no doubt because, you know, because Lashana and I are mentored by Ron and Cheryl. And when we go to their house, it's just it doesn't matter when we go there. Sometimes it's we're going there for a staff meeting or if we got to go have a serious talk, if we're just showing up unannounced, like it's just a party. It just turns into a party. It's just fun, you know, because I think God is there. The vibe changes. But you and I both know. When God's not there, we can feel it. We're spiritual beings. You know what I'm talking about? If you really get real with yourself, you can be like, ah, God's, God's not in the room. God's not in my office cubicle. He's not in my car. You know, God's not there. When God is in the room, the vibe changes. There's laughter, there's dancing, there's peace of mind, there's purity, there's, there's, there might be tears. And that's okay. Tears of joy or tears of sadness. There's understanding. When God is in the room, there's boldness. There's courage. When God's in the room, battles are won. The mouths of lions are shut. And even though you might be in the fiery furnace, you're not being harmed because God is in the room. Because you are in the presence of God. You know, so I want to ask you to, like, as, as I move forward, like, and just, there, there's, there's a lot of ways that I think you can tell if God is in the room, but I, but I picked out three, at least so far in my study. Like, when God is in the room, you know, the first one I picked out comes from Revelation 3, when he says, here I stand, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice. So when God is in the room, you listen. When God is in the room, you listen. In Isaiah chapter 55, I love this scripture, it says, this is God talking, by the way, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, 
declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. You guys want to know what I think? You want to know what I think? No, you don't. You just read the Scripture. You want to know what God thinks, right? That's what we want to know. We don't wake up and read our Bibles in the morning to see what I think, to see what you think. I wake up and I read because I want to know what your thoughts are, God, because they're way bigger than my thoughts. They're way bigger than your thoughts. God's thoughts are infinitely bigger than your thoughts. We got to get that through our, th- through our heads. And sometimes, like my mom would say, you got to get this one through your thick skull. Okay? Because it's not getting through. It's his thoughts that we are after. And if his thoughts are that much higher than ours, then, then why do we spend so much time listening to ours? We got to ask ourselves that. I think that's one of the most destructive practices out there is we value our thoughts way too much. We value them way too much. I'm not saying your thoughts are not of value. Okay, that's not what I said. I'm just saying we put them way up there. When actually the thoughts that are way up there are God's. Actually, we can't even... He says as far as the heavens are higher than the earth. We can't even see it. We can't even imagine it. He said, but that's how far apart our thoughts are. But the beautiful thing is, is we have his word right here. And I was like, I actually get to read his thoughts. God's never going to tell you something that contradicts his word. His thoughts are higher than ours. But it can be destructive. Because I think we have this need to be heard. We have this need to tell people what I'm thinking to tell people what I'm feeling rather than opening up this book right here and finding out the truths that are way beyond my thoughts. You know, if we're going to have God in the room, you have to learn to stop believing everything that you think and feel And you have to realize that His voice is going to be louder than yours. you got to listen. you got to listen. You know, when God is in the room, I said, your heart burns. When God is in the room, your heart burns. You're like, what are you talking about, Aaron? Well, in Luke chapter 24, I love this interaction. Luke 24, last chapter in Luke. And Jesus has just died and he's raised again. But there's this interaction and it's nowhere else. Raised again, died and raised again. Did I say something else? I'm sorry. What did I say? Did I say that? Wow. Delete that from the tape, please. Thank you. I think I need some water or something. I'm so sorry. Where are we at? Luke chapter 24. This is why you don't want to know my thoughts, right? You know what I'm talking about? Thank you very much. 
That's why you don't want to know my thoughts, okay? Because my thoughts can get crazy sometimes, or I can say things that aren't right sometimes. So I apologize for that. Jesus has died and he has risen. And, uh, <laughs> but on the, uh, uh, in Luke 24, we get this really cool interaction. And it's nowhere else in the Bible except here. And there, there, there's two people walking down the road. We don't know who, uh, we, we don't know all of, we know one of them, Cleopas, but we don't know if he's with another guy or a, um, if he's with his wife or something like that. But they're walking on the road and they're kind of downtrodden. They're, they're sad. Because they believed in Jesus and, and he had died. And Jesus actually walks up next to them, but they don't, they're kept from recognizing who he is. And then, you know, he says, what are you guys talking about? You know, and they look at him like, are, are you not from here? That's what they ask him. Are you from another town? Are you visiting? Because don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? And then Jesus plays along. He says, well, well what things? What happened? And they're like, well, this Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. He was powerful. And we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. But, but you know, so the ladies went back to his tomb and he's not there anymore. And they're sad and they're distraught. And in Luke 24, verse 25, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what, he has, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus had a Bible study with those guys. He opened up the word of God. He showed them that, hey, God's thoughts are way bigger than your thoughts right now. You know, he continued to go with them, and he actually said, hey, i got to go a different way. And they, they convinced him to come with them and go grab a meal. And then eventually their eyes were open, and they recognized him. It says he disappeared. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 32, after they recognized who he was, they said, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. I just love that scripture. I imagine that's what a Bible study with Jesus would feel like. Like, oh my gosh, like he kind of, he, I don't know how long he talked. It could have been hours, but, but I just, you know, it's really cool that we get this because they were able to look back to that moment. And hey, when we were talking with him, when we were opening the word of God, when we were reading the scriptures, there was something going on in here. And it was burning. And I, now I know what it was. I see it. But, but, man, they were in the presence of God. Their hearts were burning, but they, they weren't completely connected with it until later. And, and I just love that because you ever been in one of those moments where you open the scriptures and it just like knocks you over? Where you just feel like, oh, my gosh, I needed this. Now, if you're thinking about. When you study the Bible to get baptized 20 years ago, and that's the last time you got your heart burned from the Scriptures, we got to get back into it. That's not good enough. Okay, this has to be something that you go after, that you crave. I know for myself, just a couple practicals. Here's a couple things that I like to do. Because cause I want this fire of God in me. Like for me, one of the things I like to do is I like to go 
to a, a mountain or something outside. For me, I like going outdoors. I like going to a mountain and I read the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Front to back. Chapter, it's only 12 chapters, but it's meant to be read as one book. And I just love reading it. And I, and I read it powerfully. You know, I'm a preacher, so I preach it and while I'm reading it and stuff like that. And I just love to do that. And, I, and I'm preaching and I'm stomping. And if anybody hears me and I just pray for them, they're probably like, this guy's crazy. I don't know what he's talking about. But I'm just having a great connection with God. And this is what I do to get myself fired up for the Word of God because I lose it. I need that fire. And so I read it and I read it and I read it. And then, and then I get to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last couple of verses. And he just said, this is the end of the matter. Just fear God and keep his commandments. And I'm like, amen. He's like, that's all that matters. Really, you know, and I, and I just love that. Right? And I love, I love going to the ocean and reading Job 38 to the end out loud. And if you, if you ever, like, write it down, go read it or something like that. But, but I just love sitting right there, right to the water, touches my feet. To, and, and ocean waves are loud, you know. And as I'm reading that cha- those chapters in the Bible, when God is basically rebuking Job and he's telling Job, like, I'm way bigger than you are. Like, he tells him, my thoughts are not your thoughts, okay? Who are you that's questioning me? And that's the type of stuff he's asking me. And I, and I read that because it's so humbling and it, and it just helps me get into my place. But it's so, the, the humbling part when I read it and why I go to the ocean is because the ocean drowns my voice out. And I'm like, this is big. When's the last time your heart burned from reading the Scriptures? Is your heart burning from reading the Scriptures? We've got to go after that. We've got to get back to that. That's when you know that God is in the room. That's when you know because you, you can feel it. Because I know that we've all experienced those moments where you're reading the Bible and you're like, I'm just not connecting. This just doesn't, this doesn't do anything for me. Maybe we're like the Israelites where we got, there's some sin in the camp and we've got to deal with the sin. We've got too much stuff in our garage and we've got to get rid of it. Because it's not burning anymore. You've got to go after that. Is God in the room? When God is in the room, you gain perspective. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73. We're almost done. See, we can go to a bad place sometimes. I know I can. We get in our feelings, we get in our thoughts, and we just go somewhere bad. And Psalm 73, if you've never read it, I highly recommend that you go read Psalm 73. Because this is where the psalmist went, this guy named Asaph. And it's such a relatable psalm. Verse 1, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then he says, But for me, my feet had almost slipped. And I'm not going to read all of it. You can go back and read it. He said, My feet had almost slipped. And what was the problem? He envied the arrogant. In other words, he wanted what the world had to offer. He looked at it and he says some stuff. He's like, man, I, I just, I want what they have. Like, they, it doesn't even seem like they're struggling with life. They're healthy. They're going through life carefree. 
They're wealthy and they love it. And they, you know, worse out there, it just seems like they're, they're even throwing stuff in God's face and, and it doesn't even bother them. Like, oh, I, I just wish I didn't have that type of conscience. I mean, that's where his heart was. That's where he had gotten. You know, in verse 13, he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Do you, do you get that? He's like, I've gone after keeping my heart pure and it's all for nothing. That's where he was. I mean, this is a bad place. Like all this good that I've been going after, it's just not good. It's, it's bad. It's, I mean, I, I, I just regret it. He says, all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. He's just like, this is, I'm just, I'm just so unhappy with my life and, and I want this life that the wicked have. And that, that's where he was. Clearly God was not in the room when he went there. But then he has a turning point. Verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And here it is. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. He said, I got into God's sanctuary. I got into his word. And it made sense. God was in the room with me. And he cleared up all the thoughts. He helped me understand it. He helped me understand that, you know, the wicked, they're, they're just on slippery ground. As fast as you get it, you can lose it. That's what he said. They don't have that relationship with my God like I do. You know, he had lost his confidence in his relationship with God till he entered the sanctuary of God. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're thinking stuff like that, you're thinking like, is this really worth it? You know, I'm, I, maybe you... Maybe you said, I'm going to give God one more chance. Maybe one more month or maybe one more year or something like that. Like, listen, what's going to change the perspective? Get in his word. Get in his sanctuary. Stop listening to those thoughts. Deal with those thoughts. I love verse 20. It says, they are like a dream. You ever heard that? I used to say that in my college days. I'm just living the dream. Doing whatever I want. Pleasing myself, just having fun. Maybe you said that last week. Just I'm just living the dream. And I'm like, and, and he's like, God calls that a slippery slope. That's the perspective he has for us. You, you know what I mean? Like that's, and that, that's, we need that perspective from God. And I love how he closes it. But as for me, it is good to be near God. He says, I want God in my room. At the end of the day, God's presence in your life is all that matters. I appreciated so much what Wes shared about chasing the accomplishments. And I was so proud of him for, for sharing that. You know, he, he, he had gotten the degree, but then after a time of reflecting, he said, wow, I, I left some things in the wake. You know, and that can be us sometimes where we're chasing after stuff and we're going after that stuff and we just forget that, well, God's presence is all that matters. I want to close out in, uh, back in Exodus chapter 33. Because God had told him, hey, if I go with you guys, I might destroy you. 
Okay, so I'm going to send the angel. I'm going to give you the promises, but I can't personally go with you. That's where, that's where God was, okay? That's kind of a scary place to be. But Moses pleads with his God on behalf of the people. In verse 15, he says, If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. This is where we have to get. This is the goal. And I love that Moses got here for his people. That we can be given everything. We can be given the Canaan. We can be given the land flowing with milk and honey. We can be given the great things. We can have the nice house, the the stuff to a point where we just don't really worry about it. But we can have success over our enemies. Everything can seem to be all right. Everything can be all right in the church and families. You know, reports going out, it can be all good. But if God isn't with you in the room... Does it even matter? And that's how Moses felt. He was like, God, I, like, I don't even want to go if you're, gonna be, if you're not going to be with me. He said, don't even send us. We've got to get to that point. You know, I'm not asking you this morning if you're living a good life. I'm not asking you if you're happy, if you read good books, if you are active even in church or serving. What I'm asking you is, is God... In your room. Is he in the room with you? You'll know it because you're listening to his voice more than your own. You'll know it because reading the Bible won't be old fashioned. Because reading the Bible, it'll, it'll burn something in your heart. You'll read it and you'll be like, I need that. It won't be a checklist item. It'll be a necessity in your life because you crave that. You'll know it because you don't get stuck in a wrong perspective. Is God in the room with you? Guys, God's presence in your life, that's all that matters. So let's think about these things as we go this week. Let's think about that question. I know that question that I've been thinking about. It's like, man, is God in the room with me? I want to keep him in the room with me. So let's stand. We're going to close in one final song before we're dismissed.